Chapter 13 of The Wife of the Secretary of State This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Lincoln Brooks The Wife of the Secretary of State by Ella Middleton Tybout Chapter 13 "'How do I look?' inquired Mrs. Redmond, some hours later, suddenly appearing in her husband's dressing-room. There was but one answer possible, and the secretary promptly made it, stooping to kiss the white forehead and touch the beautifully dressed hair caressingly. "'I'm so glad you think so,' she said, consulting the mirror anxiously. "'This gown was an extravagance, John.' but I do think it is a success. "'You need your opals,' replied the secretary, who took a genuine interest in all the details of his wife's toilet. "'That string of pearls is too insignificant.' "'You have a perfect passion for those opals,' returned Mrs. Edmund with a little laugh, "'and I don't like them at all. I had much rather wear the jewels you gave me.' "'But it gives me so much pleasure to see you in them, dear.' You should indulge an old man in such a harmless whim. You shall not call yourself old, said Mrs. Redmond, laying a soft little hand across his lips. Of course I will wear them if you really wish it. Will you ring for Josephine to get them for me? When the maid had departed on her errand, Mrs. Redmond stepped back a few paces and looked critically at her husband. I'm not satisfied with your appearance, sir she said severely. There are lines about your mouth and that horrid, tired look in your eyes again. What is it, John? The secretary sighed and adjusted his cuff. It is just the outcome of the day, Estelle, he replied. Those papers have not yet been found, and the president is much annoyed. I think I am getting too old for politics. Every day, almost every hour, brings fresh anxieties, and I do not seem to have the ability to cope with them. Is it anything special, dear? I think, replied the secretary, putting his arm around her waist and seeming to derive some comfort from the action. I think the thing which troubles me most is the knowledge that someone I trusted has deceived me. The papers were undoubtedly stolen by an employee of the department, and the thief has not been found. Therefore, I am growing suspicious of everybody, a most unhealthy atmosphere in which to live. John, said Mrs. Redmond, as she carefully pinned a white carnation to the lapel of his coat, perhaps the papers were not stolen after all. They may only be mislaid. The secretary shook his head positively. You don't understand the importance of the matter, Estelle, he said quietly. They were not mislaid. The thief must be found, and he need expect no mercy from me, whoever he may be. Whoever he may be, repeated Mrs. Redmond absently, putting the brushes on the dressing table straight. He does not deserve any mercy, John. Do you really expect to find him? Sooner or later he must be found, returned the secretary positively. What he has done successfully once, he will attempt again. The cleverest thief invariably steals one thing too much, and in so doing overreaches himself. 
"'Yes,' she said breathlessly. "'Yes, I suppose so. "'Once too often, and then—' "'Here is Josephine with the opals,' interrupted the secretary cheerfully. "'We will talk of something more interesting. "'Let me help you with your necklace.' "'With fingers much too large for the work, but strangely deft, "'nevertheless he unclasped the string of pearls "'and replaced them with the opals.' while Josephine skillfully adjusted the crescent in her mistress's dark hair. "'Estelle,' he exclaimed as the maid withdrew, "'you are the light of my eyes, you know, "'but sometimes you positively dazzle them.' Mrs. Redmond swept her skirt about her and made him a low curtsy. "'Come,' she said, taking his arm. "'We must go downstairs. "'It is time for our guests to arrive, "'and I want—' Oh, John, I want this dinner to be absolutely perfect. If any contretemps occurs, I think I should like to retire into strictly private life and exist on the memory of my past greatness. They had entered the long drawing-room, glowing with light and fragrant with many flowers, offering by its subdued richness and unobtrusive beauty a silent testimonial to the alliance of wealth and good taste, a combination as rare as it is desirable. Suppose, said the secretary, glancing carelessly about, suppose, Estelle, I should tell you tomorrow morning that all this was gone forever and there was nothing left, that you and I must begin at the beginning with just each other and our bread to earn. What then? Mrs. Redmond caught her breath and raised her eyes to his with an indescribably sweet expression. "'I think, John,' she said gravely, "'I should be almost glad, because I might then perhaps—' "'The Russian ambassador and Countess Alexis,' announced the footman impassively. "'Count Valdemir.' The secretary and Mrs. Redmond advanced to meet their guests, who now arrived in quick succession and comprised the principal members of the diplomatic corps, with a slight sprinkling of Americans prominent in Washington society by reason of politics or money. Among the latter was the Honorable Joshua Grimes, multimillionaire, proprietor of The Daily Messenger, and member of Congress from South Dakota. As Mr. Grimes himself would doubtless have remarked, he might look a little out of his element among his present associates, but when an emergency arose, he thought he could show them who was the biggest duck in the puddle after all. And Mr. Grimes believed an emergency was near at hand. To Lyndhurst, the member from South Dakota was an unfailing source of pleasure. He's so typical, don't you know? The Englishman confided to Miss Bird on one occasion. As a rule, I have been disappointed in the American politician, but Mr. Grimes is most satisfactory. Mr. Grimes, like many of his kind, was a faddist, and reveled in his ability to indulge himself in that direction. His hobby was precious stones, and again and again his appraising eye sought Mrs. Redmond's opals with a covetous, wondering expression, as though almost resentful of her right of possession and his fingers positively itched to touch them and assure himself of their reality. Dinner ended. He gravitated in her direction that he might have a nearer view and perhaps glean a little information concerning them. 
Mrs. Redmond was seated upon a small divan beside Miss Bird, who was chatting in a perfunctory manner with Count Valdemir, while Monsieur Dupre entertained his hostess with his usual volubility. As Mr. Grimes drew near, the little Frenchman politely made way for him, but smiled as he observed his courteous gesture pass unnoticed, and exchanged a quick glance with Lyndhurst, who had approached with the secretary and stood facing Mrs. Redmond, as she sat with her back to the light, her rich gown falling in graceful folds about her, and the crescent in her hair scintillating brilliantly. "'Surely you are not leaving so early, Mr. Grimes,' she remarked, under the impression that he had sought her to say good-night. "'I'm a man with one idea, Mrs. Redmond,' returned Mr. Grimes, sitting down abruptly. "'It's been so with me all my life.' "'Yes,' said Mrs. Redmond politely. First, it was money, or rather making it. "'Well, I got all I wanted, so it no longer interests me. "'Just now it's stones.' Yes, said Mrs. Redmond again. I've studied them a good bit, he continued slowly, and I flatter myself I'm something of a judge. I know a good thing when I see it, and being a collector, I want one like it. Now I have some pretty good opals, but they are not a patch on those of yours. Would you mind telling me where you got them? Count Valdemir gave a scarcely perceptible glance across the sofa as he continued to discuss the ethics of golf with Miss Bird, and Lyndhurst paused involuntarily before responding to the polite interest of the secretary regarding Devonshire cream. The opal at Mrs. Redmond's throat glowed suddenly scarlet, a blue flame radiating therefrom as though flaunting its value before less costly jewels. "'You like them,' she said quietly. "'I'm so glad. "'I really don't know where they came from originally. "'They are simply family jewels "'to be handed down from one generation to another.' "'We are always dazzled when Mrs. Redmond wears her opals,' "'said Monsieur Dupre with a slight bow. "'I never saw their equal. "'Never,' said Mr. Grimes, who was plainly much impressed. "'Nor I,' said Count Valdemir, "'joining suddenly in the conversation.' "'Nor I, except once. "'And where was that?' "'In Egypt, at the court of the Khedive. "'The secretary glanced smilingly at his wife, "'while Lyndhurst adjusted his monocle "'and brought it to bear upon Count Valdemir, "'and by common consent they relegated Devonshire and its products "'to the background and joined the group about the divan.' "'I suspect a romance,' cried Isabel, laughing. "'Let us hear it, Count.' "'Not at all a romance,' he replied, addressing Miss Bird, but looking beyond her at his hostess. "'Rather a curious superstition regarding them.' "'I'm not much on superstitions,' remarked Mr. Grimes parenthetically. "'I reckon I never had time to tamper with them.' "'Tell us, Count,' urged Isabel again. "'Shall I, madam?' "'Pray do,' said Mrs. Redmond quietly. "'The Khedive's opals,' began Count Valdemir slowly, "'which, madam, are quite as beautiful as yours and very similar, "'are not an enviable possession. "'In fact, they are weighted with a curse "'which brings bad luck to the one who wears them.' "'All opals do,' interrupted Isabel, "'unless one's birthday is in October.' 
My birthday's in June, said Mrs. Redmond with a little laugh. In the beginning, resumed Count Valdemir, or so the subjects of the Khadive believe, these opals were translucent stones, pure and exquisite, but without fire or color. They were the property of the Khadive's favorite many centuries ago. She was, of course, young and beautiful, but apparently indiscreet, for she fell in love with an officer of the palace guard and even raised her veil to show him her face. How she happened to see him, in spite of the restrictions of the harem, I have forgotten. Also how she managed to escape. They were, however, discovered floating down the Nile together in a boat and promptly captured. She was adorned with the opals. The man was executed. And the girl, inquired Isabel as he paused for an instant, what of her? Her hands were bound, he replied impressively, and she was deprived of her veil and turned out into the streets, still wearing the jewels. To speak with her or provide her with food or shelter was punishable with death, and she wandered about the streets an outcast until she succumbed to starvation. Before she died, she cursed the stones she wore and the man who gave them to her, and prayed that her spirit might enter into them and bring bad luck to those who wore them, even as they had brought disgrace to her. A very vindictive young woman, said Monsieur Dupre lightly. And so, continued Count Valdemir slowly, the opals glow and fade and glow again, even as the hearts of those who wear them burn, turn cold, and grow passionately hot once more. It is also said... Well, inquired Mrs. Redmond, as he paused uncertainly, it is also said, madame, that the Khadive's opals are most brilliant when the heart of the wearer is most troubled and unhappy, and that should they by any chance come into the possession of an absolutely happy woman, they would lose their evil power, their fiery beauty would vanish, and the stones themselves would become cracked and worthless. Rot! ejaculated Mr. Grimes in an audible aside while moving disgustedly away, and the little group dispersed as the secretary proposed music as a balm to their lacerated feelings, and escorted Miss Bird to the piano. Lyndhurst turned to speak to his hostess, but the trivial remark he had intended to make gave place to an involuntary pause of admiration. Mrs. Redmond leaned back among the pillows on the divan, a red spot glowing on her cheeks in opposition to the stones about her waist, in her hair, and at her throat, which seemed to simultaneously put forth scarlet flames of indignation at the concluding words of the story. The Englishman pulled at his long, fair moustache and sought for an appropriate remark, but his vocabulary, unlike Monsieur Dupre's, was not always equal to the occasion. So he merely looked down on the picture, marveling at the length of the curling black lashes fringing the white lids of the half-closed eyes and unconsciously noting each detail of the perfect toilet from the exquisitely dressed hair to the tip of the slipper just visible among the folds of the white lace gown and then suddenly the lashes were lifted and eyes not blue tonight but purple and misty as with the shadow of suffering looked directly into his 
They said something, too, and Lyndhurst wondered greatly, for the eyes appealed. And as they gazed through the monocle, anxiously questioning the heart of the man, there flashed into the steady, quiet English eyes an answer to the appeal. It was born without his consent or volition, it is true, but nonetheless clear, distinct, and definite in its purpose. Only an instant, and the black lashes again measured their curling length against the cheek, while the scarlet of the opals faded, and Lyndhurst removed his monocle and carefully polished it with his handkerchief. "'Shall we join the others?' said Mrs. Redmond, rising. And Lyndhurst bowed quietly as he returned his handkerchief to his pocket and replaced his monocle. End of chapter 13